Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. Uh, it's always uh, a privilege to be able to come together as a spiritual family to worship our Father uh, and to open His Word together. I, I want us to consider the question today, what kind of church do we want to be? If we had to choose, would we rather be a mature church or a growing church? And I don't actually have the PowerPoint on. There we go. You can see the question with me here in just a moment. Maybe. Thank you. Okay. Do we want to be a mature church or a growing church? Now, that, that might seem like a rather odd and silly question. I, I realize it is. Because we might think, well, uh, do we really have to choose one or the other, right? Uh, don't they kind of go together? And they do, in fact. But what I want us to consider today is a matter of attitude and focus. Do we value the comfortable, undisturbed grounds of apparent maturity to the point that we avoid the struggles and hard-fought battles of spiritual growth? Do we view congregational maturity as an end within itself or as a means to an end of being able to better minister and encourage and help others grow? Because if we see a congregational maturity just as an end within itself, uh, new converts, immature brethren, we might start seeing them as a liability rather than an asset to the Lord's work. But if we see maturity as a means toward an end, uh, then we will be equipping ourselves to better evangelize, to better reach out, to better minister and help others grow. It is possible to have growth where maturity is still lacking. But brethren, the point that I want us to see today is that it is not possible to have true maturity where growth is lacking. Growth I believe, needs to take precedent in our thinking. It is the more foundational value that we need to cling to because it is what leads towards what the Bible would call true maturity. Only when spiritual growth is a priority can spiritual maturity become a reality. So I want to start off by describing what, by some, might be considered the mature church. If this is our primary goal, our primary value, the church that puts an emphasis on maturity above that of the growth that's necessary to get there. Brethren, congregational maturity is not achieved through avoiding and alienating the immature. Because if, if, if we see maturity as, as some end that we can reach in the here and now in which we can be kind of settled and undisturbed, we may be confusing maturity for simply the status quo. It would be easy for this church uh, that values maturity above that of growth to see new converts as a liability because as they come in, they lower the overall spiritual maturity of the group. They come in with baggage, with struggles from their past lives, misconceptions about the scripture. And as we study together, they might have comments uh, or questions that, that aren't as helpful. Maybe they even have some ideas that are completely wrong uh, and unbiblical. 
If they begin to start serving in different ways, leading in prayer or, or leading singing or, or giving an exhortation, you know, they might uh, kind of stumble through some of that. Uh, they might have long pauses and not be as helpful in keeping everybody focused in our uh, worship together. Th their personalities may not mesh as well with our little close-knit group here. And so it might upset the social dynamic of our, our comfortable group of, of church friends, right? And so if, if we simply see maturity as an end within itself, we, we can start defining maturity in a way that, that's completely contrary to what the Bible would define it. This attitude is not really maturity at all, not by God's standards. I want us to start off by looking at Matthew 23. Matthew 23, and I think we'll see that this type of attitude is really the attitude that the Pharisees had. Matthew 23, let, let's read verses 13 uh, and 15 together. Starting in verse 13, Jesus says to the Pharisees, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven and people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's some pretty strong language there, isn't it? But what, what was the Pharisees' problem here? How were the Pharisees shutting the kingdom of God in people's faces? And, and why were they having such a hard time finding proselytes? Well, unlike Jesus, they didn't want to teach the tax collectors and sinners that were around them. They would travel across the sea to find somebody who was as self-righteous as they themselves were, who would make a really good Pharisee. Well, and then we'll, we'll open up the doors to that person. But broken people, people with baggage, people with struggles, people that need healing, that need God to transform their lives, well, we're just going to shut the door on them. They weren't looking for broken people to make whole, sick people to make well, or lost people to guide to the Lord. They were looking for people who would be a nice addition to their holiness club. When they finally found somebody who met that description, uh, they kind of added them as a feather to their cap. This can't be us. We can't just be evangelizing to people that we think would make really good Christians. You know, if, if, if our priority is maintaining the maturity of this group and we don't want it to be disturbed by immaturity and wrong ideas and, and anything like that, well, we, we might stop reaching out to people with, with struggles and problems, people who don't know the Lord. But if our priority is spiritual growth, we're going to see maturity in an entirely different way. Maturity is being further equipped to reach out being further equipped to help the weak, being further equipped to minister. And brother, maturity is not a state of being. It is a stage of growing. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I want you to notice Paul's attitude towards maturity. Now, Paul the apostle is certainly somebody that you and I would look to as a very mature Christian. We see his work for the Lord, his diligence, 
And those are, are things committal. Paul himself says that we should imitate him as he imitates Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. But what was Paul's attitude towards maturity? Towards his own maturity? Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says it there in verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. What way? Well, what Paul had just gotten on saying is, I haven't arrived. I haven't reached it yet. I am still pressing forward daily for the upward call of Christ Jesus. Paul didn't view his own spiritual growth as, as reaching its destination while he's still here on earth. If we view spiritual growth as something that we individually or as a congregation can kind of attain to, and then we just got, have to kind of maintain it, we have an entirely skewed view of what the goal of spiritual growth is. We haven't reached the goal until we've come to the Lord himself in heaven. It's the upward call. This is the heavenly goal, not something that we're going to accomplish and attain here. But those who are spiritually mature are going to recognize that. They're going to be reaching forward. The truly mature recognize how much more maturing they have to do. Brethren, the work of the Eastside Church of Christ is never going to be accomplished, is never going to be realized here on earth. We're never going to reach some point where, well, this is what we've been working for. No, the, the work of this church is accomplished when each and every one of these souls, and by God's grace, many others, get to be in heaven for all eternity. That's when our work has been accomplished. And so let us not think that we can achieve some spiritual maturity in the here and now, some, some stage that, that we, we've just arrived, and now we just have to kind of maintain that. No, spiritual maturity is being further equipped to continue God's work of reaching out, and helping others come into the fold. And so, while certainly we should want to be a mature church, let's, let's make sure we have a biblical view of what that means. That doesn't mean that we just don't want anybody coming in that might rock the boat. We don't want anybody coming in that might lower the maturity level of, of this group, that might make things difficult, that might cause problems. No, that's part of growth. And we need to be willing to fight the hard spiritual battles to go through the struggles that we might grow, that we might accomplish God's work among us. And so let's instead consider the church that recognizes growth as a more foundational priority. Brethren, growing necessarily means welcoming in the spiritually immature. We see this in Jesus' ministry himself. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19 Jesus was called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why? Well, because Jesus was more interested in accomplishing his mission than building his reputation. 
The Pharisees wouldn't dare go near those kind of people. Well, if, if, if we have those people in, in our kind of social group, well, then that's going to look bad on us. Jesus wasn't worried about his reputation within itself. He was worried about making sure that he was accomplishing the mission that God had given him. Brethren, if, if this church here is known as a place that welcomes in broken people that they might be healed, uh, that welcomes in worldly people that they might be pointed towards heaven, that welcomes in the ungodly that they might be transformed, then praise God because we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. The attitude that sees these type of people as disturbing our perfect little church and being a liability to our work uh, and, and hindering the type of atmosphere that we're trying to create here doesn't have the heart of Jesus and doesn't understand the true purpose of the church. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I want us to consider two churches in the New Testament. And one is the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 9. Now certainly the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. You can see that throughout both letters that Paul writes. There is a lot of things that they needed to work on um, that were serious, that needed to be given attention. They needed to grow. But I want you to notice what Paul says here in in verse 9 through 11 of chapter 6. He tells the brethren there, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now you read through 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth has a lot of problems. And some of those problems are in fact coming from people who were converted, who are carrying over attitudes and practices from their past life. And Paul says that's serious. We need to address that. Unrighteousness is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. We need to work on this. We need to grow. But you notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you guys have just been welcoming in too many drunkards. You guys, you know, you've just been reaching out so much. Look what you've done to the perfect, mature atmosphere that this group could have had. That's not what he says. No, the problem here is not who was coming in. It's that they were continuing to carry those things. And Paul says, let's work on that. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by kind of weeding out those people and making sure that they don't come. It it happens by helping those people come in and helping them change, helping them transform. You know, how do you think it is that these type of people ended up in the church in Corinth? Paul says here that they were washed, that they were sanctified. How did they, they get there? You think any drunkards ever wandered into the assembly at Corinth? You think any idolaters ever came in? In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23, Paul talks about when outsiders or unbelievers come into their assembly. Here, if if these people are going to hear the gospel and are going to be transformed by it, we we need to make sure that as Jesus is, we're we're not thinking, well, they're, 
They're just going to ruin what, what we're trying to accomplish here. They're, they're just going to mess up the atmosphere uh, altogether. All well, no, this needs to be an atmosphere of genuine love for the lost. Genuinely helping people transform. And so if we want to be who God wants us to be, if we want to grow, let's certainly address those problems. Let's, let's address baggage from our past lives. Let, let's address struggles. Let's make sure that we are being transformed by the gospel. But the way to do that is to help people change. Not to, to view them somehow as a liability to what we're seeking to accomplish. And I think we see the same thing with the church in Acts. You know, if there was ever a picture of a growing church, certainly the, the church in Jerusalem in the first few chapters of Acts uh, is a perfect pattern for us of the type of, of growth that we would love to see as we seek to accomplish the, the great commission of, of spreading the gospel. But I want you to notice something about the church in Acts. It had a lot of problems. It had a lot of struggles. As they began to evangelize, as they grew in generosity, in Acts chapter 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira lying to make themselves look good. As they grew in diversity, in Acts chapter 6, you have the Grecian widows who are being neglected, and they have to address that situation. As they grow in their impact upon the community, you see Stephen now is, is stoned for his preaching of the gospel. As they grow in, in more and more conversions, you have Saul of Tarsus, who is initially rejected from entering into the flock there at Jerusalem because of his past and his baggage until things are explained. And, and even one who had participated in the murder of Christians comes in to that flock and accomplishes great good for the Lord. You have Peter being confronted about eating with the Gentiles. You have the major conflict in Acts 15 when they have a disagreement about whether or not Gentiles need to be circumcised and keep the old law. You know, we, we look at all those problems. You know, here are, are people lying and being struck dead. Here, here are people who are being neglected. Here are, are people who are having disagreements. Uh, people who don't want to welcome that person into the flock and people who do. You might look at that and say, well, I'm thankful that's not us. Well, no, brethren, that's, that's exactly what we want to be. Now, they worked through all those things, but that is what a growing church looks like. If we're going to grow, it's going to mean fighting the difficult spiritual battles. It's going to mean struggling together and only through those things being drawn closer together by seeking to have the attitude of Christ. And so, brethren, if we want to be a growing church, we're, we're going to face struggles but we're going to have to learn to work through it. Work through it by having the character and mindset of Christ. Work through it by valuing others better than ourselves. Work through it by standing firm upon the revelation of God's word. But let us not think that we are somehow failing or that, that things just aren't going the way that God wants them to go when we encounter difficulty. No, because the, the most growing church that, that we have ever seen encountered great difficulty. But they worked through it by God's strength and by God's grace. And fourthly, congregational maturity 
is going to be developed through patient ministering to the weak and immature. Not by alienating them, not by avoiding them, not by running away from problems, but by patiently working through those problems. I mean, just turn back to Romans 15, the passage that Jonathan read for us a moment earlier. Romans 15, and notice uh, what Paul says about how spiritual strength should look and act. Starting in verse 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such a harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What are the spiritually strong to do? They are to bear with the failings of the weak. They are to, to reach out and minister to the weak. They are to help the weak grow. That's what spiritual maturity looks like. And you notice he talks about endurance here in verse 4 and again in verse 5. Normally when we think about perseverance or endurance, we think about uh, dealing with, with persecutions or trials or conflicts from without. But here, you, you know what Paul's talking about when he's talking about endurance? He's talking about enduring with our brethren, with one another, that we can have this harmony, that we can have this unity through Christ. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. You know, we might have the attitude sometime, well, I, you know, I, I deal with those type of problems and those type of attitudes in my workplace, and I deal with them in, in you know, my, my neighborhood. I, I just don't want to have to deal with those in my, in my church. Well, no. We need to be willing to bear all the more bear with one another and work with one another, help each other with those struggles. And where there are wrong attitudes, let's not alienate one another. Let's not push one another away. Let's work through those wrong attitudes. Let's help each other have the attitude of Christ. We see this again in 1 Corinthians 12 as Paul talks about the church as a body. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 21, this is a passage that we've uh, spent a great deal of time on in, in many different studies. But I, I want us to make application of it once again. Starting in verse 21, it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Spiritual maturity is not accomplished through shedding off the weaker parts of the body. 
It's accomplished through ministering to those parts of the body. And those parts of the body that we seem weaker are not less important that now, you know, if, if, if only they weren't such a liability to the body here. No, they are all the more important. They require a greater attention that the body might grow. Imagine if, if you were running in a race and you want to be as effective as you can at, at running that race. You know, could you imagine uh, a pair of legs deciding that it didn't want all the extra weight going on up here? You know, that, that torso, it, it, it just weighs too much. You know, that head, we need to get rid of it. The legs, that's where all the work's being done. Let, let's get rid of everything else. That's not going to work. No, in fact, even if you have a, a, a runner, how are they going to become more effective in running that race? Is it just by training their legs? Well, that's certainly an important part. But it's their overall health. Training their, their lungs, their, their circulatory system, training every part of the body. In fact, if, if you break your arm, do you think that you could run a marathon? You think, well, you're, you're not using your arm, right? No. You, you try to run a marathon with a broken arm, you're going to do a lot of damage. Even those parts of the body that don't seem to be directly related, how the body grows is not just by one part or another part growing, it's by every part growing. And so all the more, brethren, if, if, if there's somebody that comes into this assembly who has struggles, who has wrong attitudes, who has unbiblical ideas, Let's have the patience to give all the more attention to those people, to help them grow, to help them be who God wants them to be. You know, sometimes we think, well, let, let's avoid those people. You know, we, if, if, only they'd, if only they'd stop coming. That's not how it works. No, those are opportunities for us to minister, for us to grow. And so let's make application to ourselves. When we have visitors come in, when, you know, they, maybe they don't know how to conduct themselves in services and they speak kind of out of order or, or, or they make unhelpful comments. What's our attitude about that? When, when we have new Christians, young people who, who are just beginning to, to lead in prayers and they struggle through that and they stumble through that and they have long pauses. When we have somebody who, who gives an exhortation but it's their first time doing it and it doesn't, you know, is not as helpful. What, what's our attitude about that? Our attitude is that this is where spiritual growth happens. Let's be willing to minister and encourage one another. Be willing to go through the growing pains so that we might grow. Because our goal is not some maturity that we as a congregation are going to reach here and now in this life. Our goal is to help people come to Christ, to help people grow, to help people be transformed by the gospel so that we can accomplish the upward call of Christ Jesus, when we are all, by God's grace, able to receive our prize of spending eternity in his presence. So let's keep things in perspective. Do we want to be a growing church or a mature church? We want to be both. But we need to recognize that they go together. And that growth takes precedent. If we're ever going to reach true spiritual maturity, as the Bible defines it, it begins by fighting the difficult spiritual battles of spiritual growth. 
If there's anybody here today who recognizes that they've had some wrong attitude, uh, some wrong mindset, maybe that's been manifested in some way that you've treated somebody else, make that right. Go and talk to that person. Uh, if there's something of a public nature that you need the support and prayers of these brethren to overcome, uh, by God's grace, uh, if you are a child of God, you can come to him and you can know that he is faithful and just to forgive you. If you've never committed your life to the Lord, by God's grace, if you're willing to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you can bury your old man of sin in baptism. And by the power of Jesus' blood, the power of the resurrection, you can be raised out of the water to walk in newness of life, to begin a new life in which you can grow, you can reflect God's character, and you can have the hope of eternity in his presence. If there is anybody who's subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you please make it known at this time by coming to the aisle as we sing together?